Welcome to Jewish World, the podcast of World Jewish Congress Israel. My name is Dr. Frat Sofer, and I'm a member of the World Jewish Congress Executive Committee, as well as its Jewish Diplomatic Corps. The attack of October 7th by Hamas terrorist organization was not only an attack on Israel, but was also an attack on civilization. In today's episode, we will be discussing crisis management and first responders, as the entire organization needed to mobilize in order to deal with the attacks that were felt in Israel, but also in communities around the world. Today, we're honored to be joined by my friend and colleague, Ernest Herzog, the Executive Director of Operations of the World Jewish Congress. Ernest is indeed our designated crisis manager within the organization. And when the horrific events of October 7th occurred, it was up to Herzog to make sure that our organization was mobilized and ready. Ernest's remit also spans to security and intelligence of our Jewish communities worldwide. And he was perfectly poised to respond to this crisis. Jewish World, a podcast by the World Jewish Congress, Israel. Connecting Israel to Jewish communities around the world. Ernest, thank you so much for joining us. It's an honor and a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you, Efrat. Pleasure to be with you. You were the first person who came to mind, actually, when, when I thought of WJC and how we would react to the atrocities of October 7th. First of all, talk us through it. Where were you on, on, on that fateful Shabbat morning? Um, yes, uh, 7th of, of October morning, I think uh, all of us will remember where we have been. Um, since it was a weekend, I was hoping to have an... Um, to get some rest uh, from work. And um, I was on the Croatian coast, um, arrived uh, Friday evening and um, only to be awakened at uh, 6.30 a.m. Um, started going through my phone, um, realized that something is happening. At that time, wasn't really sure what was the scale and uh, Absolutely didn't have uh, any idea that uh, what actually happened was happening. Of course, it takes some time to understand the scale, um, always the scale uh, of an event. Uh, um, you need some time. You cannot uh, comprehend what is really going on in first minutes. For me, I was in, in, in London and getting kind of got up and was getting ready to go to synagogue. And um, as always, I, ch I tune into Israeli radio whenever and to hear the horrors of people calling in, it, it was the most surreal, surreal um, horror to listen to in real time. And I think that's something that a lot of us um, kind of experience first thing in the morning and to actually realize that scale is is just kind of thinking back is is unfathomable, um, and when things like these happen, we immediately think of our brothers and sisters not only in Israel but around the world. 
And from the WJC perspective, this is something that I guess we think about in real time all the time. What was the first thing that that came to mind for you? Well, you know, when, when something like this happens, when any attack against the Jewish people happens around the world, I... Um, I have been trained and uh, this is uh, exactly uh, what happened in this time. Um, I put my uh, my professional hat on and I actually, as you said, we are all thinking about our brothers and sisters and what is going on. But uh, I, I know that in this type of situations, I have a job to do. So um, I was uh, immediately thinking um, whether um, I should be uh, consulting with um, the, the the management of the World Jewish Congress and declaring the crisis. In this type of situations, we do have a protocol um, because we, when there is an attack uh, against the Jewish um, venues uh, around the world or institutions, um, we do declare crisis and we work in a very different mode. So because this attack happened in Israel, uh, we needed to consider whether um, it's, it is something that will affect Jews worldwide and to, to what scale and whether whether crisis should be declared. So, as you say, on one side, I had to, I really very quickly had to put my emotions aside and start working, um, unfortunately. Um, so yes, that was that was it, and very quickly we established, as as you said it yourself, once the the videos and horrific pictures starting uh, getting through, we realized definitely that we should be uh, declaring crisis, and, and within an hour or two, we realized that uh, the focus of the World Jewish Congress in the at that time we thought days and weeks to come, we realized now it's 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 longer period. Uh, will be only only on uh, on this. That's something that that we did see that everyone was was instantly mobilized. And I was thinking how we'd speak about today. And we think of the World Jewish Congress. It is a global organization, but very much with with people in it. So that that there are layers within this when we think about something so huge. Where we've got the we've got the kind of the effects of October seventh and crisis management on the organization itself, but then at the same time, a lot there was a ripple effect on our other relationships and and what we could do um, in response on the WJC level. What what happened from a crisis management perspective? What what was the? How did you kick into action? Yes, absolutely. We, we have, uh, I, I may say, we have three different levels when something like this happened. One is the what we call the WJC level, the internal. It's the all the all the staff, all the employees, and I will I will get to the challenges that we had uh, in a moment. And then you have the second layer, which is our constituencies, our um, affiliated uh, communities around the world and uh, also other organizations. And then there is uh, what we call the outside world, meaning the, the ripple effect that you mentioned that uh, obviously um, affects our partners, uh, all, all the stakeholders um, uh, that are connected to us uh, in, in any way. Uh, so it's, it's kind of uh, three different circles. And going back to this this smallest circle, which is the WJC, uh, the challenges that we have, obviously, we have 
some 60 plus uh, uh, staff around the world scattered and pretty much on all continents, each one of them uh, responsible uh, in routine for uh, for dail- daily daily uh, jobs. Um, they are in different time zones. So, so calling them all in and pretty much declaring a crisis and, and uh, switching them into a different mode uh, globally, of course, it, uh, it, first of all, it takes time. And second of all, uh, we are all human. So all of us do uh, react to something like this very, very differently. In times of crisis, they say 90% of the people um, get uh, in some type of a, some some state of a shock, whether it's a tunnel vision or as we call shooting in all directions uh, mode. And only probably t- around 10% people focus and are able to immediately switch the mode and, and uh, actually uh, perform hundred uh, percent. So uh, that was that was a challenge. And another challenge, we needed immediately to set our priorities. We needed to understand what happened. This was obviously immediately we realized an attack on Israel. But very quickly, we started to understand that this is a um, part of a much global, uh, much more global uh, efforts uh, from the other side. So it was not only attack on Israel, it was attack on uh, on the Jewish people globally. But if you want to look at the larger picture, it's, it's um, an attack of a certain way of life. Uh, and if you want to call it what we call the Western civilization, I wouldn't really um, like to 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 add that word Western because it's not only Western. It's a, it's a specific. It's a, it's a way of life that is uh, that was uh, threatened around the world. And I think from you know if we try to to zoom out and look at it from from the perspectives of the of the perpetrators and those who support them, this was just one of the battles uh, in a in a war they're fighting, and that war for probably for them started. Um, not on the 7th of October, but um, much, much uh, earlier, and it's, uh, and it's still ongoing. So um, that was important to understand, to have this, to have this uh, prospect of what actually happened, not only from, from our perspective, but also from the perspective of the perpetrator. And then, only then, when we realize what is going on, we can set our priorities as an organization, divide, uh, di- divide work, and obviously set uh, set uh, the agenda and and see what uh, what who needs to do what if you like you know it's a completely new you know we almost uh, within within a day switched to being a different organization uh, and focusing uh, focusing on only only one thing. And I guess practically something that I saw from from my end uh, here in London is that we did have an advantage in that way that we did have people around the world. So it meant that we could, once we kicked into action, we could work around the clock in a way and and, and tag a team. And um, d- did you see, I think, I, I mean, what I saw organizationally is that our kind of our, our day-to-day relationships evolved in a way where we were able to pass on the baton through different time zones. No, absolutely. We... We um, did manage to coordinate uh, quite quite uh, quickly, and um, 
you know, uh, we realize that we need to set our priorities and our priorities, we, we uh, you know, uh, and this is uh, something that you do in strategy, regardless of whether it's crisis or not, but uh, what every organization should do when setting the strategies, what I call uh, waking up in the morning, looking yourself in the mirror and putting your hand in the pocket to understand, you know, what your resources are, who you are and what is your environment in order to decide um, how you're going to spend the day, uh, figuratively speaking. So so we realize that WJC is a political and uh, organization uh, representing the Jewish people around the world. And uh, also our bread and butter is diplomacy. This is what we do. So there's hundreds, probably thousands of Jewish international or local organizations who have been doing many things, you know, from trying to secure funding and helmets for um, for the soldiers in the IDF to helping people moving from from south of Israel uh, to other parts of the country, um, uh, helping communities, etc., etc. What we said, you know, it's very easy to spread thin in this type of situations and to spread your resources and actually then doing many things, but having zero effect. So we said, okay, we what we need to do is focus on what we do the best and focus on where others cannot add value as much as we can. And um, we realized that there are three priorities for us. One <clears throat> was the state of Israel and um, making sure through our efforts to, to try and uh, um, to try and um, preserve the support for the state of Israel um, globally. This is obviously the diplomatic work uh, bilateral with countries, but also with the international uh, organization. And when I say, when I speak about the support for the state of Israel, uh, this is the, the, the political support by the decision makers. But at the same time, as a priority within that was um, safe return of hostages as soon as possible as the as the priority. Then second one, and I, I'm saying first, second, and third, but uh, this is not uh, in in any t in in any way um, in, uh, in the line of importance. Um, they're as equally important. Is designating Hamas for what it is a terror, evil, barbaric organization, um, and everything connected to it. So so um, working to make sure that the finances to, to Hamas and uh, their alliance uh, and allies is, is being cut. Um, that also working uh, to make sure that the media coverage um, doesn't express any sympathy for this type of organization. Obviously it is happening around the world, but uh, this was something we focused on. And last but not least, of course, was the support for all our Jewish communities worldwide. This, uh, they have been heavily affected, uh, their security was affected, um, the mental health of uh, all, the, all the communities member and their way of life was affected. Should I, um, you know, go to work tomorrow and can I, can I be openly Jewish? This sort of question, should I send my children tomorrow to a Jewish school? Um, what does that mean for, for me? living my life from this point onwards. And then the third thing I would, I would maybe um, emphasize on was a um, huge surge of anti-Semitism globally um, on the streets, in the media, and especially uh, on campus in academia. So those are all the things that we kind of put on our, uh, put on our, um, to be a part of our portfolio going forward uh, and uh, addressing. 
Um, there were many other things that the World Jewish Congress could do, um, but we realized, as I said, we are a part of a larger network. Uh, we are not alone as WJC, nor are our communities, nor is Israel. So I th uh, the decision was made very quickly that we will contribute in these areas and let the others do their work uh, elsewhere. You're listening to Jewish World by the World Jewish Congress, Israel. Ernest, how do we as how does WJC in a heightened situation like this um, able to use its voice politically without becoming partisan, without commenting on things which could affect um, a narrative in a in a divisive or political way? How do we continue to unify? Um, it is. Um It is very um, actually easy. It doesn't sound easy, but it's very easy. Um, we should just call things for what they really are. Um, looking uh, on the inside, so co communicating uh, with all our constituencies and uh, different communities. And let's not forget, our communities are affected globally in a very different way. The community in Buenos Aires or in uh, in Santiago de Chile is very differently affected in comparison to a community in Bishkek, Kyrgyzstan or uh, Tashkent, Uzbekistan. Um, they have different challenges. Um, their threats they have uh, in their local environments are very different. So a very uh, important and even For us, it wasn't. It was something that was uh, that went without saying, and I think also for a lot of our communities, we are one. We are the Jewish people. Um, the other side uh, that spreads hate against the Jewish people see us as one, whether we are um, religious, uh, non-religious, uh, secular, uh, um, orthodox. Um, so, so it became almost this this. Uh, unity that uh, happened. Uh, um, I have a feeling that uh, you didn't really need. This is something that we really didn't need to work on, and so the communication on that uh, level was almost obvious. Um, one thing which is really important, and we have been struggling in uh, in years behind us, was uh, also this gap that was we felt almost uh, increasing, and uh, um, was the gap between diaspora and the state of Israel for various different reasons. And you know, we can we can have a podcast on that separately because it would be it would be we would it would take too much time uh, to go into that. But that gap, I have. We had a feeling that it also disappeared overnight, literally, um, and I, I think this is what happens. Uh, you know, it happened now after the seventh of October, and it happens always at the time of trouble. Um, that uh, unfortunately, sometimes we really, uh, we really need uh, something like this, a catalyst, uh, to get united. Because I almost, maybe it's not the right word to use, but we almost get sometimes too spoiled, and we complain about uh, not so important, not such important things. Uh, that you know, when something like this we ha happens, we actually wake up and realize that um, we are all in this together. And even if we have some differences between us they need to be put aside at, uh, in the moments like this. Absolutely. And I think that's something that you did mention, that that our relationships, both within Israel and, and our constituencies, changed instantly 
there was that instant unity, um, which I would assume is always there, but we get distracted, as you say. I have a feeling that this type of situations give give us a dose of clarity. It's not only clarity what is happening to us and uh, how united we should be, not only in situations like this, but especially in situations like this, but it also gives us clarity who our real friends are, uh, who our real allies are. Uh, and, um, you know, if, if there is, a, I don't want to talk about good things that came out of this conflict because I don't think anything good uh, came out of it. Uh, but but if, if uh, I can talk about it, it would be some, it would be this, it's clarity of where we are, who we are uh, and who our friends are. That was something that really astounded me as well, where straight away we could see who our friends were and were without going into any details that may be sensitive, how were you affected by the responses? Well, in general, I'm trying to be a positive person and I remember positive things. So uh, um, I was positively surprised by by reactions of uh, some uh, uh, people and colleagues uh, that I know around the world. And I will give a, a few examples. Who were the, actually the first ones to, to, to react? The first phone calls I was getting when uh, uh, it became obvious what is happening on, on the morning of the 7th of October actually um, came by uh, from uh, non-Jewish uh, friends who wanted to wanted to make sure that I'm, uh, I'm doing all right, that uh, our people in Israel are doing all right, and also obviously wanted to understand what is going on because what was going on in media at that moment was very, um, very vague and uh, very hard to, to understand. So the f very first person who gave me a call was a director of the... Um, Srebrenica Genocide Memorial in Bosnia and Herzegovina. Um, he's a Muslim, Mr. Emir Sulagic, a very good friend as well. Uh, and uh, he called me to check up on me and uh, to say that, uh, you know, if there is anything that we may need as an organization or I personally, that he's there and available for us. And um, also, very quickly, it was uh, there was also the World Roma Organization that reached out to us with a very pretty much similar message and uh, unwavering support uh, for for the Jewish people because to them it was very obvious that this is not only to do with Israel and to do uh, with Hamas and Israel and they were very much aware of the global implications of uh, such an atrocity. Um, so. I think this was uh, actually a very good uh, signal to us that bridges that we have built in the time of uh, peace, if you like, uh, now um, remained. And actually, I almost have a feeling that they, um, they're even stronger. Uh, and um, if also this type of uh, situations give us an opportunity to build new bridges, as, as we said, you know, this is when you realize who your fr real friends are. And uh, in these situations, you realize that, okay, you recognize them. If, if there wasn't a bridge, this is the time to build it. Because in this type of situations, if a bridge was built, it is very difficult to burn it down later.
I completely concur with you. We had the privilege of being with uh, with Emo at Srebrenica, and he is such a brave man who is larger than life. And and as you say, relationships like these, especially we've done a little bit of interfaith work together as well. And to get phone calls from people like Shia imams and from friends from the Abraham Accords countries was hugely meaningful for me. I think to know that we are not alone during a time where we are attacked on all fronts is really does reaffirm your belief in humanity in that, um, in that these bridges are solid and that they are ones with a future. Exactly. Exactly. So, and, and, you know, we should not take it for granted. All these people who are now, uh, especially people coming from a Muslim community around the world who are stepping up and actually, um, uh, doing the right thing and uh, and um, condemning Hamas, um, it is not easy for them. Uh, you know, they have been uh, seen by by many people as almost as uh, traitors, uh, and um, there is a huge amount of courage and integrity behind uh, all of them uh, when they do when they do something like this so um, the amount of gratitude gratitude that um, uh, I have for these people is uh, is immense also what is important to to note is that you know when people like this speak up their voice is heard louder than thousands of Jewish voices when we speak about uh, what what is happening to us because um, from the out, from the outside world, it can be seen uh, that it's coming first of all from the from the side of objectivity, but also authority. Whereas when we talk about it, of course, we are subjective. We are the victims, or we see ourselves as victims in this conflict, and therefore whatever we say, it's obviously partisan, one-sided, etc. So, and it will be defined as that. So, it is very important um, to have such friends uh, in this type of uh, in these type of situations. Absolutely. And another relationship that the WJC treasures is the one with the church. Um, can you go a little bit more into um, how our dialogue has been with with the Vatican, with other members of, of, of the church? Yes, uh, absolutely. The World Jewish Congress has a very good relationship with the Vatican, and it's not something that was established uh, yesterday. Um, uh, our uh, president, Ambassador Ronald Lauder, um, within uh, within first uh, days of the of uh, after the attack, um, visited the Vatican and the Pope, and uh, um, that uh, relationship and strong bond was uh, reassured. But also, I think uh, um, when it comes to to situations like this, it is very important to trickle down this relationship on a, on a local level. So I will give you just one small example um, that happened uh, last week on Sunday, on the 26th of November, um, a Protestant church, just to give a different example, uh, um, uh, organized um, on their own an event in Zagreb, Croatia. This is, this is where I uh, currently live um, uh, to support, not support only for Israel, it was support for 
uh, common sense, I, I should say. They, they called the event Israel, you have friends. But uh, at the event, it, it was made very clear, clear that um, peace-loving people are on their side and they're supporting all of them, whether they're Palestinian, Israeli, Jewish, or Muslim, or Christian, or, any, uh, or, or coming from any other uh, religious denomination or atheist. Um, and then on the other side, it's evil. And um, that evil um, in this uh, particular situation comes from Hamas uh, and uh, those organizations and countries who are supporting them. Um, and um, and uh, to see, I was, I was uh, there to see um, people from church invited also the Catholic Church. There was, the, there was the, also the representative of the Catholic Church. There was Muslim representatives, uh, local ones, all um, expressing um, the need for peace, uh, but also solidarity with Israel. And what is more important and what we need more than uh, now more than ever is understanding on, on what is going on um, currently in Israel and Gaza. This is something that sometimes we don't even see in mainstream media, um, but you could see that there is understanding and uh, very, very clear um, knowledge on the details on what is going on. Because as, as all of us know, there's a lot of noise in the communication channels in media, uh, malicious and um, not, um, which sways the public opinion um, in one way or the other. Uh, and seeing seeing uh, uh, people seeing through this and understanding what is really going on uh, was, I have to say, refreshing. And as you say, this this is something that that we will have a podcast on about the public diplomacy, about the role of the media in crisis situations like these. Um, but also, as you mentioned, Hamas and the regimes that support Hamas have been um have been very active and one could argue have been instrumental in the um infrastructure funding strategy and planning of of these atrocities um but something that was and again something that we always discuss is the regime versus the people um where i have been so reassured and pleasantly surprised that members of Iranian communities around the world have been standing shoulder to shoulder with us. And again, to, to know, and as you say, their knowledge of our, our issues, our worries, and for them to reach out to, and to say, we want to be there, stand there with you is something that has been very, very moving. Exactly. And, you know, uh, there is, uh, we, we have to differentiate uh, between um, between uh, different groups and understand where exactly, exactly where they're coming from and, and also um, how we should interact with them. And as you mentioned the, the Iranian communities around the world reacting very different from the Iranian regime of course uh, and and this one is um, it's an obvious one obviously they 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 understand what is going on they offer their support and of course we are very very thankful to that but it gets more tricky when actually we come to um to to 
to Israel and to to West Bank and and Gaza, for example, because you know we need to differentiate from the seed of evil, uh, which is Hamas and and, and and people behind it and, and similar organizations as well, and the people living in the West Bank and Gaza. And we 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 shouldn't be turning obviously the blind eye to understand that. Um, in the wake of the 7th of October, 65% at least, according to some polls, 65% of the people living in Gaza did support Hamas. Now, we have to differentiate still, even if they support Hamas, seed of evil is Hamas and people behind it. People living in Gaza and supporting Hamas are not necessarily the seed of evil. They have been manipulated, they have been radicalized. And so what needs to happen with the seed of evil seed of evil needs to be destroyed. There is nothing else you can do. You have to destroy it. Same way that Hitler and his regime needed to be destroyed. But what needs to happen with those people who supported Hamas, they should not be destroyed. They should be de-radicalized. The same way, the same process that Germany went through after the 1945, um, the denazification process. Uh, and some would argue it wasn't perfect and it wasn't good, et cetera, et cetera. But you know what? If 40 years down the line, we have the level of uh, uh, radicalization in Gaza the same uh, to the same extent that we have neo-Nazis in Germany, I would be quite satisfied. So, um, so uh, that that means that uh, the radicaliz deradicalization process actually did have have some effect. Uh, so this is very important uh, from from our perspective to distinguish between this because it's when you listen, uh, um, Israel and the Jewish people are accused very easily nowadays uh, and we can go into that as well it's the dehuman it's a part of the dehumanization process of is of uh, the citizens of Israel and the Jewish people very similar to one that was happening in the 1930s um, is is uh, very easy to blame either Israel or the Jewish people um, for treating everybody the same in Gaza. You know, this is what we hear. You know, you cannot uh, kill um, uh, civilians and treat them the same way uh, as, as Hamas members. And nobody does treat them the same way. But we need to be very, very clear on this and, and to, to ex if, if, if asked to be uh, able to explain very clearly um, the difference between the seed of evil and those being manipulated by the seed of evil. As you so eloquently put it, this is something that isn't just localized, that our Jewish communities around the world are affected by that seed of evil. And how does one create a deterrent where we saw in the most um, dramatic scenes, uh, we saw in Dagestan of, of literally hunting for Jews, how do we as an organization um, deal with that seed of evil? What can we do to protect our communities? Well, um, our communities, as I mentioned before, are affected on a, on a few levels. And the most dramatic one, if you if you like, is the, is the security level. If there's actual physical security uh, where their lives can be threatened, as you, as you mentioned, uh, with what we've seen in Dagestan. But let's not forget that some people lost their life um, for being Jewish also in the United States. So, um, so security is obviously is the paramount. And um, 
I have to say, and this is uh, something uh, that was happening for the last, say, 10 to 15 years with the um, attacks against the Jewish communities in diaspora, um, in Europe, but also in the United States um, and, and elsewhere, that uh, the level of, of security of the Jewish organization uh, was um, increased tremendously during the last 10 years. And um, uh, it's not only the Jewish uh, communities, but also they're collaborating locally with the law enforcement and uh, security agencies. Um, that deterrent already exists. Now, um, there is no such thing as 100% security as we've seen um, you know, in France and other places. Um, maybe the, the Jewish venues, schools, synagogues, and um, and the community centers are um, are secured when people are inside. But what happens when they walk out? Uh, what happens when they go home? Um, we had uh, situations in which people's houses were marked or their uh, shops were marked with the Star of David, um, which is resembling very much what was happening again in the 1930s. Um, kind of uh, targeting or, or putting a target on their home or uh, uh, their their business um, so that uh, the anti-Semites can um, uh, attack them. So um, it is very challenging when it comes to when it comes to security, but then even more so uh, there is an issue of anti-Semitism, which is much more widely uh, widely spread. It feels that this um, it, that the events of the 7th of, of October and everything that uh, happened afterwards almost gave a carte blanche to all those uh, hidden anti-Semites and all those uh, th those people not liking the Jews to kind of express what they think and what they feel uh, because um, they felt, okay, because of what Israel is doing and of course then using uh, uh, um, the narratives and and lies, if you like, uh, to explain what is going on in the in the Middle East. And but because of this, I can say what I feel about Israel and sometimes um, also about the Jews. Um, a lot of the times, obviously, they use words Zionists instead of Jews, as if to as if to hide uh, what their true feelings are. But uh, uh, in this type of situation, it becomes very obvious uh, where they're coming from. Um, and I would maybe spend just a, a minute on uh, what is happening uh, in, in these narratives. Um, we've all noticed that the words that have been used, and obviously all of us get frustrated uh, when, when we hear it in uh, mainstream media, ethnic cleansing, uh, apartheid, uh, genocide um, uh, um, being used as, as words. This is a way to dehumanize um, uh, the state of Israel, Israelis, um, and because the Jewish people give unwavering support for the state of Israel, or most of the Jewish people, I should say, um, um, they belong to this group that should be dehumanized because uh, somehow, somehow we are able. And it's it's interesting that those words are being used in the same sentences, almost, or in the same uh, in the same protest, while. Um, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, uh, is being chanted, which is a call on actual et ethnic cleansing and genocide. And it's very obvious that Hamas, even in their charter, have uh, genocidal intentions. So it's um, um, it's it's bizarre, actually, 
um, what is what, what is going on. But we have to look at this seriously as much as we know what is truth and what is not. This is not a war uh, about truth. And, and uh, unfortunately, us being right and us arguing to death uh, uh, with uh, you know set of arguments and almost uh, as in in a, in a style of a of a, of a courtroom, will not actually get us anywhere because those people on the other side who are anti-Semites and who are expressing their anti-Semitism they don't care about the truth the same way nobody cared about the truth in the 1930s uh, when Hitler and his uh, propaganda machinery was spilling hate against the Jews. You're listening to Jewish World by the World Jewish Congress, Israel. One of the placards that I think alarmed me most where we saw on London streets where there were people um, protesting on behalf of uh, the, if you call it, uh, the Palestinian side, were the placards that said, keep the world clean with a Star of David in, in a bin. And I think there's nothing more harrowing than seeing that um, that terminology again of of ethnic cleansing, of genocide in 2023 in European capitals, and it's it's something that resonated, I think, with with WJC communities all over the world, and what we can do about it. There was a trending hashtag of never again is now. And unfortunately, things that we had been trained to battle retrospectively since the Holocaust and since many other pogroms against Jews was um, something that, that, that we worked together and again, mobilized, like you said, in a, in a place where it's almost a post-truth world. And how does one deal with that sort of terrain? Yes, it is very difficult um, to, to navigate these waters. Uh, and, and we also should learn from history uh, that we should choose our battles. Look, there's only 15 million Jews around the world. And yes, we have friends and we are not alone. And, um, you know, we have all limited resources. So when it comes to choosing your battles, if you like, we should try and focus our energy where it makes the difference. We will not change 300,000 people marching the streets of London, chanting from the river to the sea, if Palestine will be free. But at the end of the day, they are not the decision makers. Um, what is important is that we do have support where it matters, um, because if we lose support there, then um, our way of life, uh, Jewish way of life in diaspora and also uh, existence of Israel will be at stake. And this should be, should definitely be our priority. Um, battling on TikTok uh, with, uh, with bots um, is probably not the right way to go. It would lead us to um, frustration. And as I said, uh, a lot of the times it's bots on the other side. So you're not even battling with a human being. It's you're, you're battling the algorithm. So in this type of situation, because online swear is obviously filled with, uh, with uh, hate against the Jews, against the Israel. Um, here, again, 
we should be working and we are working with the social media companies, with internet companies, with legislators, uh, because, you know, uh, it's kind of a um, carrot in the stick, if you like. Uh, we, 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 we speak with the med social media companies um, and to ask them to... Um, Uh, to remove this type of content, to to moderate this type of content. Um, uh, and we have to also be very aware that uh, all these internet companies, they're in their business for profit. They're not in their business for uh, for the Jewish people. So they have um, all various different considerations, but that's where we also need to be uh, um, aware that uh, we should be talking at the same time with legislators. So... Um, Yes, the internet companies should do the right thing, uh, but in case they don't, there should be a law that would uh, uh, enforce them to do the right thing. Uh, so we have to work on a, on a, on, a, on a various different platforms. Um, uh, but again, because our, of our scarce resources, we need to choose our battles and we need to be, uh, you know, um, sting precise, if you like, to to to. Um, address the issues where a change can be made rather than losing energy and getting frustrated um, in the arenas where uh, it's a lost battle. And at the end of the day, we should measure how important it is to win that particular battle. Exactly. And um, we were discussing how every crisis is also an opportunity. And even in these horrific very challenging times. What do you see as, as the opportunities in the situation? What, what, where do you look to, um, to build from now? And of course, our main priority is getting the hostages back and doing everything that we can and eliminating this source of pernicious evil in Hamas and their supporters. Where are the opportunities here? We mentioned before that this um, type of situations give us clarity, a clarity about who we are, uh, where we should go, and also who our friends are. So because of this clarity, I think it becomes also obvious in which directions uh, we should go, and, uh, and, and these are the opportunities. We need to continue building bridges with our real friends. We need to continue to think and work for the day after, And uh, this is what we should be looking at. The opportunity is also multi-layered, if you like. Um, there are opportunities for the local communities. There are opportunities for international Jewish organizations to build bridges. And now more than ever, we should, especially especially in the in the Muslim world, you mentioned the Shia connections that uh, that you um, Efrat have that uh, um, uh, exists already and also the Abraham Accord countries we should make sure that these bridges are not burned but exactly the opposite strengthened even more because we, let's not forget the 7th of October happened among For, among other reasons, exactly because um, the Abraham Accords were signed. Um, there are countries and groups in the Middle East, uh, and unfortunately also even globally, that have a problem uh, with these uh, accords being signed, that have a problem with Israel being in good relationships with Arab or Muslim countries. So 
this is what we should uh, also be focused on and work and as you know our um, our president ambassador uh, loder um traveled uh, to the middle east uh, during this uh, during this uh, um war since the war started exactly for that particular reason um we need to focus also on the goals of the other side what they're trying to destroy and to try to preserve it so it's it's the jewish way of life it's our communities it's the state of israel but it's also the bridges that we have built over time with our allies especially in the muslim world i couldn't agree more with you the coincidence here was it was no coincidence when we were on the precipice of formalizing something very special with other countries in the gulf and there were groups who felt very threatened by that um however it's it's go ahead it is it is a modus operandi of the uh, of Hamas Islamic jihad Hezbollah and all those uh, supporting them um if we go back in history every time we were close to a pe- to a peace agreement there would be another intifada there would be another terrorist attack there would be an escalation in order to be the goal to prevent it so it it is a very known modus operandi it is nothing new what was new on the 7th of october was the scale uh and uh, and the level of barbarism uh that happened but um um the modus operandi was there uh for decades if not longer and i think as you said something that was um newer in this war is Jewish communities around the world saw that Israel was under attack and usually our diaspora communities see Israel as the touchstone of security for them what i observed which was very um moving in a way was that Jewish communities could come together to also be there in solidarity and support Israel so the nature of that relationship the quality evolved in a very big way and at the same time we could see that um our other friends partners allies in as you say in the muslim world in the christian world were um using their voice on our behalf in a way to to speak in solidarity with us and as you said at the beginning that the value of that voice really is priceless Yes yes it is and and going back to what you mentioned with the Jewish communities you know from from our perspective of the World Jewish Congress we are there to to help and support them in whatever whatever they need and obviously in in this type of crisis they need they need a lot and i dare to say you know the the larger the community is it is almost uh, uh, the other way around for us uh, we need to be there more for the small and medium sized communities that are under threat and under staffed uh, not do not have enough resources to protect themselves again i'm mentioning the communities in central asia um in a very very challenging environment you mentioned dagestan but very similar you have very similar atmosphere in across across that region whether it's um, 
whether it's uh, uh, Muslim majority parts of uh, of uh, Russia, uh, where you have this type of uh, this type of uh, groups uh, ganging up and uh, trying to look for Jews and and commit a pogrom, if you like, but also in places uh, in, in places in Central Asia, whether it's um, Kyrgyzstan, um, uh, um, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, where uh, there are small Jewish communities, um, definitely not able to 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 um, be resilient enough for this type of challenge. So this is where we really need to step up as an organization and help them provide uh, with the tools, data, support, information, um, uh, resources, whatever they may need in order to in order to um, increase their level of resilience and uh, and protection, uh, so that they can actually continue with their with their uh, normal um, daily lives. Uh, also, um, you know uh, that uh, we, uh, in October, uh, organized uh, within uh, within weeks of the uh, 7th of October attack, uh, both the executive meeting for the World Jewish Congress, which is the president uh, uh, of the community, gathers all the president of the communities in uh, Zagreb, Croatia, and then uh, subsequently we had the National Communities Director Forum in Rome. Um, so we we wanted to make sure that to provide a platform for um, both our top professionals in the communities, but also the lay leaders um, to get together and uh, strategize how to go forward. Uh, I mean, we do provide a platform. We are there to support them, but they among themselves also um, create uh, uh, just by talking to each other and strategizing, create uh, an immense. A value uh, uh, in creating this collaborative network, um, and it's going back to to how we started. Communities understanding that they're not alone, that uh, they're part of a larger Jewish network globally, uh, but also that um, we have friends, and that this network actually spreads also outside to the to the non-Jewish world. Ernest, as you said, the WJC does act as a as a super convener in a way, on, on all levels. And at the heart of it is our motto, Kol Israel Arevim where each of us is, is there for one another. And it has been incredible to watch in the midst of this tragedy and this war, how the World Jewish Congress mobilized during a time of crisis to really be there for the Jewish people. Yes, um, you know, um, one thing that was that was uh, very important for us to understand uh, in this uh, situation was that this is going to be a marathon and it's not a sprint. Um, there was a, a risk of burning out. There was a risk of uh, fatigue. Uh, so we, a very important thing, which is uh, kind of uh, undermined and we do not talk about it, too much, but we do constantly think about it. It's pacing ourselves. Um, we need to pace ourselves. We are in this for um, for 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 uh, uh, quite some time. This is a type of crisis. You know, usually we have crisis. There is, God forbid, an, an attack against the community. We are talking about days, maybe one or two weeks, and then things do go back to the routine. Here. Uh, we are going uh, to be in this uh, crisis mode uh, for quite some time. 
I, I dare even to say that this is a, now it became a routine. The crisis itself became a routine and we need to, we need to, as I said, pace ourselves. So, um, but on the other side, as you said, uh, it's been an incredible journey. Uh, and, and to some extent, uh, even though horrible things happen, it's also very rewarding seeing uh, Jewish people around the world coming together, uh, coming together with the state of Israel uh, and uh, with our allies and partners uh, uh, from the non-Jewish world. Um, almost fee uh, makes you feel at the end of every day that uh, you're making you're making a difference and um, having uh, having this feeling of doing the right thing uh, i think it's uh, it's really priceless so um i think that uh, we uh, as the as an organization but uh, when i say we i mean more as global jewish community should be really proud of ourselves uh, on how, uh, um, what the reaction was, global reaction, uh, and the um, interaction with our uh, brothers and sisters uh, in Israel. Uh, and we, I, I speak a lot uh, with our colleagues really around the world uh, in communities. There's a lot of the time they have this feeling of, are we doing enough? Are we doing the right thing? There's in this Jewish constant feeling of uh, inadequacy and, and I'm, I'm, I'm going in the wrong direction and, and questioning yourself on and on again. Um, and for me, so, so, for somebody like me who is actually have this uh, bird eye view uh, and seeing what's going on in Central Asia, but also in Latin America and also elsewhere in the world, in Europe, uh, in North America, um, I have to say it's what what did happen was was amazing and it's tremendous and I'm so proud of uh, of, of all of us uh, of our people um, that um, uh, everybody put aside uh, whatever they were doing and uh, um, focused on one thing uh, and is to to do and to contribute as much as they can even though, uh, you know, from their perspective, sometimes they feel they're not doing anything, but every little helps. And when you add all this up, it, uh, it leads to, um, to what we have uh, created here um, in the last uh, two months or so. Anas Herzog, may you go from strength to strength. Thank you so much for everything that you do for the World Jewish Congress and for the Jewish people. Amen. Thank you, Efrat. It was a pleasure to be here. Jewish World, a podcast by the World Jewish Congress Israel. Jewish World is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon, and more. Subscribe for updates on new episodes.